We're going to get right in the book of Mark chapter 7 now. So if you could open up your Bible. I'm going to pick it up at verse 14. Jesus just kind of laid them out there about their traditions and how the scribes and Pharisees were causing traditions that would cause the word of God to be not effectual in the people's lives. In other words, the word of God was uh, not operational in people's lives because of the traditions of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and I like to add one more, and the would not sees, because there are a lot of people who just won't see. No matter what you say to them, they just won't do it. Amen? So Jesus told them that. So I'll read the last thing here. It says in verse 13 of 7, he says this, Thus invalidating the word of God by your traditions, which you have handed down, and you do many things such as that. So he just pretty much read them a riot act about their behavior and their life. And he says, your traditions are causing the word of God not to be powerful. Now watch what Jesus says here. He continues to teach and reach people in verse 14. And after he called the multitude uh, to him again, he began saying to them, now watch how he, he talks to them. He says, listen to me, all of you, and understand. You know, that's a lot of just care and concern for people. Jesus is really trying to break in on some of that carne asada. You know what I mean? It's, it's really hard to get to the mind of people. And he says, listen to me. I want you all to understand. He's speaking to the depth of their soul. He wants them to catch what he's saying because the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees were steeped in tradition. And I told you last week, I wasn't mad at them for it because that's all they knew. That's what they were taught. They were taught traditions, rituals. They were taught all these things. And again, it's not that it's bad, but when my tradition takes away the life and the importance of an individual, it can't be God. They were teaching things such as if your ox fell in the hole on the Sabbath day, let your ox stay in the hole. But Jesus would come along and say, a man has to get his ox out of the hole. That's his living. You see, so they take it to the extreme, and they're living it to the extreme. So I want you to think about some of your family and some, some of your children in the family. Think about traditions that you might have. And you think about the generation that they're living in it will be really hard for them to have relationships with people if we don't use wisdom in sharing the things we want to share with our kids to pass down. You must use wisdom to be able to do that because they will not understand. Jesus' key point here, he's trying to get them to understand what's really going on. So he says, again, in 14, and after he called the multitude to him, he says, he began to say to them, listen to me, all of you, a lot of people standing around, he says, and understand. Now watch this. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees were getting on the disciples because they were eating with unwashed hands. They were eating their food. They didn't do what the ceremonial ritual washings were. They didn't go in and do all that stuff and speak a blessing over it and dry their hands properly. They were on them. So Jesus goes and he gives this rebuttal. He says, there is nothing outside of a man which going into him that can defile him. I mean, that right there blew him out of the water. He says, but the things which proceed out of the man are what defiles the man. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. So nothing that you, in context here now, now, of course, you can eat some poison. They can really defile you. You can kill you. But we're talking about in context to what Jesus is talking about, as opposed to them washing their hands ceremonially and eating, he was saying that's not what the problem is. See, not what you put in the mouth that's going to defile you, you see, it's not what you put in the mouth. And we're going to see how he unfolds this. Watch. He says in verse 16, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And verse 17 says, and when leaving the multitude, he broke that truth to him. He had entered into the house. 
his disciples questioned him about the parable. Now watch what he says. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? <laughs> you know, you've been with Jesus. You think because you're with Jesus, you're just going to automatically know some things. Jesus was teaching parables that even went over the disciples' heads. And when he made this statement, it's not what you put in your mouth that defiles you, but it's the things on the outside is what he was talking about. So they thought they'd come to Jesus in private. You know, Lord, what were you talking about? I didn't get that. What were you talking about? And Jesus says, are you lacking also? Can you imagine that? Are you with me and you're still lacking? Now watch. It's really important to catch this. A lot of you are going to get freed up today. You're going to get freed up today. Watch. Amen. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? You see that in your Bible? Jesus said it cannot defile him. And here's the reason, verse 19, because it does not go into his heart. Let me speak to that for a minute. All that food you just ate didn't enter your heart today. It went into the belly, right? It went into your stomach, which is the processing machine for elimination. Think about that for a minute. So while we're ritually trying to tell people how to eat and what to eat, Jesus says it's going to be eliminated anyways. God has done such a blessing that he created our system to process foods, strain the nutrition out of it, get rid of the toxins through the kidneys and liver and all that stuff, and then he eliminates it so that you can be sustained every day. And so Jesus was bringing them some science that they'd never heard before. Real important that when I eat food, it's eliminated. It did not enter into my heart. Sometimes food's so good, it feels like it touched your heart. It made your heart happy, <laughs> but, but it did not enter into your heart, all right? That's the biggest thing. It's a big truth there. Now watch this. In verse 19, but it, it does not go into his heart, but into his stomach and is eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. Now when he says he declared all foods clean, he's talking about in context to food being eliminated through the process of digestion that it will eventually come out. That's what he's basically talking about, all right? Because we know the Jews had clean and unclean foods, and so there are certain things, even today, be honest with you, we shouldn't be eating. It's just some things we know that's not good for us in that sense. You know, and a lot of people will say, well, you know, the swine, we shouldn't eat the pork, right? You hear a lot of that, and people don't eat pork, and there's a lot of religions, I mean, Jewish faith, Muslims, and other people, they don't like a lot of pork because of the way the pig is. He's an unclean animal. But did you also know that a chicken was unclean? Chicken is very unclean. If you ever grew up around chickens, they'll eat anything. You throw anything on the ground, they'll eat it. It's a fowl, right? So I'm saying if we're going to talk about what's clean and unclean, you know, we love lobster. We love shrimp. Well, the reason is that these foods that God have designed for the earth to be janitors, vultures, things like that, they kill things, but they also eat dead things. They eat unclean foods. So they're considered unclean. If you go to the book of Leviticus later on, you'll talk about what's clean and unclean. But it's not just the swine. It's all kinds. There's a list of foods on there that they weren't supposed to eat. But Jesus declared all foods clean as in relation to what defiles a person. What's even more defiling than food that you may eat is what I'm going to share with you right now. And he wanted to get them on the real subject matter. So in verse 20, and he was saying to them, that which proceeds out of a man, that is what defiles the man. And then he gives us in verse 21, 
for from within. This is stuff that's already in you, not what you're putting in there. Out of the heart, he says, of man proceed evil thoughts. I want you to think about that. Evil thoughts. Any thought that's not of God can be considered evil. Because I can hear somebody saying, well, I don't think evil. That if you think anything outside of what God thinks, it's imperfect. And evil is that which is incomplete and imperfect. That's why Satan is considered evil, because he's incomplete and he's imperfect. And when you operate in darkness, you're incomplete because you can't see. So all darkness and all things outside of what God says and what God's will is, is also considered evil. It's just not bad stuff. There can be some good stuff that could be considered evil. In fact, it's the good stuff that gets us in trouble. It's not the bad stuff because you think it's just a little. Let me give you one good thing that gets you in a whole lot of trouble. And I don't mean to get on anybody's case about anything because I'm talking about me too. So no, I'm talking about myself. Let me show you something good that can get you in a lot of trouble. Sugar. Oh, man, sugar is so good. Honey, sugar. Oh, so sweet. But you know, a large part of our nation is suffering from a disease called diabetes because of sugar being put in everything. And seeing so something, how could something so sweet, so just mm, delectable, be so evil? Because it's how they use it. By the time they get through stripping it and doing what they do to it and put it in the foods, and now you found sugar in everything. Sugar's in everything. So you think, oh, because I didn't drink a lemonade with sugar in it or soda with sugar in it, I didn't have dessert, that I had a good meal. Sugar's in your bread. Sugar's in your carrots, sugar's in your beets, sugar's in some of the meats that they make because they put sugar in it. It's sugar's in everything. You see, so now when you go to eat food, you got to think about the sugar content. And then you got that other good thing that some of y'all like that you don't even think about before you do it, salt. You ain't taste your food and you're doing this. And I do a little cooking. I ain't like a chef like Joe or some of you in here that really are chef. I do a little cooking. What I'll do is I'm going to use salt. I'll take it and put it in my hand so I know how much it is and then I'll dash it that way. But out of that shaker, you don't know how much salt's going in your food. And you already got a lot of salt in food today because that's how they process it. You see, so I'm saying all these evil things, these things that can hurt you, and you're just a generally decent person, and next thing you know, you find yourself with a disease called diabetes, and normally a lot of people have type two diabetes, and people don't want to admit it, but they do have it, and if you don't take care of it, it will take care of you. You either get busy living or get busy dying. That's how serious it is. You get things amputated, all kinds of stuff. You see, so I'm saying, you know, those are some of the things that could be evil that we do do. But what he's really talking about is a spiritual wickedness here. So take a look at this list of things. He says in verse 21, he says, from within, he says, out of the heart, a man proceed the evil thoughts. He says, fornications. Now, what is that when we talk about fornications? I know a lot of times we don't talk about fornication in the church because a lot of people are doing it. So you don't like to talk about it. A fornication is, in its simplest term, using sexuality wrongly, having intercourse and sexual things happening, you know, breaking vows, adultery, fornication, kind of the same thing. They use it interchangeably. But a lot of people in the church and pastors won't talk about it because they would lose half of the congregation when they talk about it because there's a lot of fornication and sexual stuff going on in the church, which causes problems. This is stuff Jesus was talking about. Now, you think you got a problem with it today. This was 2,000 years ago. Jesus brought this up 2,000 years ago, so everybody wasn't holy then either. Everybody want to go to the holy land where Jesus was at. He was there, and they were doing it. And again, I'm not getting on anybody's case, right? 
I'm just speaking things that are in the Word. You know, when you're pastoring, you get across parts of the Bible, you just want to jump over it sometimes. But you can't. I said, man, Lord, if I, if I say something, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. He says, you know, you're going to teach my Word. you got to teach it all. You know, and I get in the Word. I have to read. I pre-read. I read. Okay, how are we going to handle this when I say this, Lord? He said, you let me worry about it. Because I'm only speaking to the people who need to hear that. If you're not doing it, if you're not driving over the speed limit, you don't need to worry about the CHP. Amen? I mean, if you're driving 80, 90, and it's 65, you're going to have to worry about the CHP. So I'm not talking about anybody in here that's not fornicating, but I am talking to people who are fornicating because God loves you. But yeah, God loves us. He loves us so much, he addresses things so that we can get free from it. Amen? And you don't want to be bound to anything. It's like, I don't know if I should have come here today. <laughs> Let me get off of this one here. So... That's a, the, the evil thoughts didn't sound so bad, but fornication, that, you're meddling now, Pastor. How about this? Thefts. Christians stealing? Thefts? We steal all the time. We do. We do a lot of thievery going on in the church, right? And then he, <laughs> and then he talks about murders and adulteries. He says, deeds of coveting and wickedness. Now, Jesus is really bringing something home. He wasn't, see, he blew away their traditions. He said, look, folks, this is what you should be worried about. Don't be worried about washing your hands. You need to be worried about your right spirit. He says, as well as deceit and sensuality and envy and slander and pride and foolishness. My goodness. In verse 21, he says, all these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. This is what defiles us, these things. Let's go over to Matthew real quick. Matthew chapter 12. These are the things we need to pray about. These are the things we need to renew our mind with, get ourselves into discipline. Now, let me just say this to you. You're not going to do any good by just trying to be good, but you got to trust God by faith for him to help you to overcome these things. Because you can do all these things like the young rich ruler and still miss God. He says, I've broken none of the laws. In his mind, he had broken none. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, there's a thing you still lack, though. And he didn't know what it was. And Jesus didn't tell him what it was. He just told him to do something. He says, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the Bible says that he was very sorrowful because he had great possessions, meaning he couldn't do that. So he did everything else he thought the law said, but he couldn't sell what he had, give to the poor, and follow Jesus. That's interesting. When he was the one that asked, what should he do? Sometimes you ask God for things that we're not ready for. Amen? Sometimes you don't know what's attached to the thing you're asking for. In Matthew chapter 12, as we're talking about this, watch. He's talking about things that from the inside that defile us as people. In verse 33, he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its what? Say it again. So if I see lemons on a tree, what is it? If I see peaches on a tree, what is it? If I see evil on a tree, what is it? <laughs> Amen. Because a tree is known by its fruit. That's really simple, isn't it? But watch this. He says now to these same group of people, these Pharisees, Sadducees, all these group of people, verse 34, you brood of vipers. He calls them brood of vipers. What a derogatory name to call them. He says, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? He says, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart or that which is abundant in the heart. So in other words, we identify ourselves every day by when we talk, whatever comes out of us 
is showing the fruit of who you really are. And it's going to tell people whether you're righteous or unrighteous, whether you're evil or whether you're good, or whether you have moral standards or whether you don't. Whenever you talk to a person long enough, you find out what's on the inside. And it's got to get beyond just how you're doing. You got to sit down and have a conversation with somebody. And you'll say, ask them about politics. You'll find out what's in them. Ask them about the relationship they have with God or religion or anything of that matter. They will let you know how they feel about things. And I love doing this. I don't ever tell people I'm a pastor when I go meet them. I never do. Never do. I want people to be themselves. If I tell them they're, I'm a pastor, they're going to fake for me. And I don't know why, because I'm just a man. They don't need a fake for me, but it's what's in their head. Well, I'm talking to a pastor, so I got to talk that God talk. But with me, no, I want you to talk your talk. So I never say who I am. I just tell them what my name is. And in five minutes, oh, my gosh, you should hear the filth that comes out of the mouth. And then they'll ask, well, what do you do? And I say, you really want to know? They say, yeah. I say, I'm a pastor. They go, oh, man, you know, man, my mother's a Christian. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they start backing up and all that. I say, hey, man, no, be yourself. At least I know who you really are. I got you, bruh. You all right? <laughs> You'll find out what's in a person. From the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. Whenever you tell somebody something and it slips and you say, I didn't mean to say that, I know you didn't, but it was in your heart because it wouldn't come out unless it was there. And what we do is we wait till we get irritated and get into this passion that we have. You know, a lot of times people use passion for their desires. They're like, you know, I have passion for this job. But the word passion really means it's a strong desire. It's an intense desire. And it kind of gets into anger. When you hear about the passion of Christ, it's what he burns to do in his indignation against evil. He burned with passion towards death and he died on the cross. And so when somebody's very passionate or you hear about passion, crimes of passion, you know what that is? That's that anger aspect of it. You see, so you got to watch yourself when it comes to those kind of things. But when people get angry, oh, my goodness, a lot of bad stuff comes out when you get angry. It's you don't mean to say or you don't really want to say, but it's in there and it has to come out. And that's why we got to do a chimney sweep. We got to get in the word. We got to renew our mind. We got to get some new thoughts centered around things of life so that we're not holding grudges against ourselves or anybody else because whatever's in you will surely come out. This is why when they interrogate people, they ask them the same question different ways. Because they can find out what's in you if they keep asking you the same question a different way. Eventually, they're going to get to the truth. There's always three, three sides to every story. It's my version, it's your version, and then it's the truth. <laughs> Amen. My version, your version, if me and Floyd have a disagreement, but then somewhere in the middle of that is the truth. And it takes a good mediator or arbitrator to come in and decide, like Solomon did with the woman whose baby died. And she slept on it and smothered her baby. And then she got up in the middle of the night and took the other woman's baby and put the dead baby by her and went to the king and said, hey, this woman took my baby. And she's screaming, no, I didn't, no, I didn't. So Solomon said, go get me a sword. Went and got a sword. He said, I'm going to divide the baby in two. I'm going to give you half, another half. And the woman whose child it was said, let him live and gave it to him. And Solomon said, that's her child. You see, it takes wisdom to decide a thing. It really does. And so we want to take a look at what Jesus had to say because he said he wanted us to really understand what these things are. It's really important that we get an understanding of it. All right, so he called them brood of vipers, right? And then verse 35, he says, the good man out of the good treasure brings forth what is good, and an evil man out of his evil treasures brings forth what is evil. Now watch this in verse 36. And I say to you, and he's talking now personally, he says, every careless 
word that a man shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Now I want you to think about all the words you've been speaking. Every careless word, every word that does not deliver productivity and positivity, every careless word that you shall speak, you shall render judgment. That day, you shall render an account for it in judgment day. Now that sounds pretty gruesome. Now I can say thanks be to Jesus that when I stand before God, that he will be my standby and my advocate and that he will stand for me because I'm in Christ, everything's forgiven. And the only way you're going to have to pass that judgment, get into Jesus and let Jesus into you so that when you stand before God, that Jesus Christ is your standbyer. He's the one that gives account with you that you don't have to answer for that because you answered in Christ. You've been forgiven. See, God's not going to hold this over your head all your lifetime. Now that you've heard this, oh, no, I better watch what I say. And you probably should watch what you say. But the point is, you don't have to worry about it so much because in Christ, when we're in Christ, he forgives us of all the past, the present, and the future of all the <laughs> things that we've ever done. Right? So watch this. Verse 36 again, and I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. Now watch this in verse 37. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. Now, mind you, at this time he was speaking, he was speaking to unregenerated people. Jesus hadn't died yet. He hadn't gone to the cross. So he was just speaking raw truth to them. This is what's going to happen to you in the event of your death and you stand before God. But he hadn't gone to the cross yet. You see, so he's just letting them know the truth. Now, let's go over to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. This will be a good one for you. This is the one that's going to save your life. Everybody want their life to be in check? This will help you. This will be Merry Christmas to you. This is my gift to you from God. All right. Here in Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading at verse 25. All right? We'll read into that. Now watch this. Verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each one of you. He says, look, with his neighbor, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Verse 26. Be angry. Listen, y'all. Be angry. Be angry, be angry, and yet do not sin. You see that? Don't raise your hand, but raise your heart. How many of us have been angry before? Don't raise your hand. Just raise your heart. How do I raise my heart? Figure it out. We've all been angry. It's not a sin to be angry, right? It's not a sin to get angry. We all get angry. We have the emotion of anger, but we have to control it to where we don't allow the anger to cause us to sin. If anger was a sin, then God would be in trouble because God gets angry. But God does not sin, and in his anger, it's indignation, and judgment is true and pure. You see, so anger is not the problem. It's what we do with it. Amen. A few women got together a while ago about alcohol and driving drunk, and they be called mothers against drunk driving, a group called MAD. They were angry, but they did something positive with it. They got together and formed a group, and this group goes out and helps people, and it makes people aware. So for every person in here, children being angry with the parents, parents being angry with the children, Christians being angry with Christians, and the world being angry with the church, God says, if you get angry, do not sin in your anger. Do something about it. Do something positive with your anger. Use that emotion to fuel something good. Now watch, it's so, 
so important. So be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What does that mean? Don't go to bed angry. How do you know you're going to make it through the night and you're angry? You fight with your wife or you fight with your husband or you fight with your kids or you fight with somebody on the telephone and you go to sleep. Don't do that. Get it together. Talk to each other. And you can say, you know, I'm really upset at the conversation we're having, but I don't want to go to bed angry like this. So I want to get to some neutral territory with you and I want to talk with you and I want to diffuse this thing. You obviously I can't see it your way and you can't see it my way, but can we pray? So if we pray and we give it to God, and in the morning, should we get up and he's allowing us to conversate again, we had some time elapsed there, and guaranteed, you won't be as angry in the morning as you are at night because anger comes from a chemical reaction in the brain of emotion, and by that time, everything, the serotonin, everything would have happened, and you would have slept it off, and so everything would be cool when you wake up in the morning. You say, I'm so glad that we didn't continue the conversation that we prayed. This morning. I don't even feel the same way that I felt last night. You know what? Who cares? And you better learn to choose your battles, <laughs> especially when you're married. <laughs> you better choose your battles. Don't fight over anything that's not going to matter in the next few minutes. I have to tell on myself a little bit about my wife. So I'll tell on me because I can't tell on you. So, you know, when I sit down at the table, I'm used to just eating my food. That's what I do. I eat. What she likes to do is she likes to take pictures of all the food that we get. So, so early on, <laughs> I'm sitting down in the eating. She's all says so sweet. Oh, honey, I want to get a picture. And then I'm thinking, for what? I'm getting ready to eat this. And it didn't make sense to me at the time when she was always want to take pictures of everything. You see, because in this generation that she's from, they like to have memories of everything they do. Like in our generation, we didn't really care as much about it, especially men. So I'm sitting down thinking, I like my food hot. She's taking pictures, and I want to eat, and I got an attitude. <laughs> and she the whole time, oh, honey, thank you so much. Oh, that's so sweet. And I'm just, I'm like, choose your battles. <laughs> then I had to think about it after she made some sense to me. How much time did it take for her to take the picture? It was only a couple of seconds. If my food got cold that fast, it was cold already. <laughs> so then I had to say to her, you know, I understand what you're doing now. So what I do now when we go eat, we sit down, I take my plate and I position it and I sit back. <laughs> and she clicks it. I say, you got that? That's good. And I said, what about here? That good? <laughs> Click it. And then I say, let me see. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Send that out. Go on, Instagram that. Instagram that. Yeah. Choose your battles. I could have messed up a good thing being pouty grouty over something dumb when it wasn't a big deal at all because she had a better reason for why she was doing it than what I want to do. I need to slow down eating anyway. I could stand to lose some pounds. Maybe that was helping me to get things right. So she helped me. So long story short, she forgave me for my just being hasty and always wanting to gobble down everything that I see, you know. But it, it's a little thing like that could bloom into a big old thing if you're not thinking right. And if I would have listened, honey, why do you take pictures of everything we eat? And if I had asked her that first, I would have not wasted an emotion having a little one minute of being pouty. 
that I would have understood that she wants to build stories and make memories. And I remember growing up, I didn't want to be in anybody's picture, and I didn't want to build any stories. And then people would ask me, well, what were you like when you were little? I said, I don't know. I have no pictures. <laughs> I solved that story. <laughs> so anyway, she's a very good person, and she means well. And I learned to choose my battles and not fight over wanting to eat as soon as the food hits the table. Just sit back, guys. Take a pause. You're going to be okay. Amen. All right. So now verse 27. <laughs> Don't let the sun go down on your anger, right? He says, and do not give the devil an opportunity. What does that mean? If I go to bed mad, I give the devil an opportunity. Don't give the devil opportunity. Kids, don't let your parents get you so upset because they don't understand how you think and who you are. They were young once, but they've forgotten. <laughs> Be patient with your parents. <laughs> Be patient with your parents. They mean well. They mean you no evil. They don't. You think that they're trying to take away everything from you. But they're not. They're trying to teach you things. But there's like a gap between the time they were born and you were born, and they don't want you to experience things they experience. So sometimes it's overparenting, and you guys get upset because we keep trying to tell you the thing that you should know. Well, eventually you're going to get to know it. So be patient with your parents. Be patient with your kids. So listen, getting down to some good stuff here. Verse 28, let him who steals, steals no longer. Who do you think he was talking to? He was talking to Christian folks. He wasn't talking to the world because the world doesn't have any ability to stop doing stuff. But they have the ability because they have the Lord. So let him who steals, steals no longer. Rather, let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share or give with those who have need. Right? Now, since we're talking about that which defiles you, watch this in verse 29. Let no unwholesome word Proceed forth from your mouth. Let me stop right there for a minute. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Now, I recognize right now, probably 99% of us have need of forgiveness right now. So you just say, I receive it, Lord. Amen. I receive it because he's already forgiven you. I receive the forgiveness. Anything unwholesome that comes out of your mouth is going to be defiling. It's not just curse words. It's negative thoughts, negative speech. It's speech spoken without thought given to it. You can say things to hurt people all the time, realizing that. And one of the things I tell the congregation, when you haven't seen anybody for a long time and they finally come to church, don't say, where you been? We ain't seen you. And they probably thinking to themselves, you ain't going to see me again for another year. If that. That's not the proper thing to say. So that's unwholesome to somebody that hasn't been there. First of all, you don't know why they haven't been here. It really doesn't matter. The first thing is, good morning, good to see you, period. That's it. They don't need to have condemnation. Where have you been? Oh, my God. Look what the Lord has brought in him. Right off the bat, I want to go out. I want to shrink away. I want to leave. And don't come up to the pastor and say, Pastor, look like you're losing weight. I haven't lost no weight. <laughs> or don't say, Pastor, look like you're gaining some weight. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> why, 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 why would you come to somebody and say something like that? Why? 
That is what defiles a man. Well, you can't believe the things people say to me. But if I say one thing, half off, one iota, oh my God, we have rocked the boat. You can say whatever you want, but I better not say, well, I, because I'm the pastor, you better not say, ooh, don't you hurt me, pastor. Don't you hurt me. You can tear me apart, but don't you hurt me, pastor. We've got to learn to be considerate of people because people are people, whether they're pastors or parishioners. We've got to be careful. Don't let any unwholesome words, any words that don't edify you. Watch this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edifying or edification according to the need of the moment. Do you see that in your Bible? So every moment is not good, but the need of the moment. So you got to even be careful about what you say. Joe, you got to be careful about what you say to Nikki. And I'm sure you know that already. Yeah, of course you do. And Nikki has to be careful what she says about you, but they get away with twice as much as you can get away with. Right? And you got to let them do it. Remember, choose your battles. Let me say something to you as a young man. If you have to win in your relationship with a woman, you've lost. Don't try to be the winner. Don't try to beat her, because if you beat your, your significant person up that you love, how do you feel good about yourself? You don't. You don't. So you just look at her and say, honey, you're right. I love you. And when you do that, man, you'll go a long way, a long way down the road. Men have got to learn you cannot win over your wife and try to be an aggressor over your wife. You must dwell with her according to knowledge like the Bible says, or even your prayers can be hindered. I'm just telling you something. I think the women should say amen, Pastor. Yeah, I'm telling you. You have to dwell with them according to knowledge. Hey, tell you why, brother. The Bible says your prayers will be hindered. Yeah. Everything you pray, brother, be hard. Wait a minute, wait a minute. You ain't dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. Sit down, boy. No, you've got to dwell. You've got to be submissive, permissive, and loving at all times when it comes to relationships or you won't have a relationship long. Oh, yeah. See, I know Preston is in total submission. Yes, he does whatever she says. That's right. Amen. And Preston, don't try to get me back when I let you up here. Don't try to get me back. He knows I'm joking with him. Uh, but listen, y'all, here we go. <laughs> we must edify, he says, according to the need of the moment. Why? That it may give grace to those who hear. Now watch this, and I'm almost closing here. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, he says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now look at that. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do you see that you were sealed for the day of redemption? You either believe you're sealed or you're not. That's what the word says. You're sealed for the day of redemption. Now, here, here, here's the thing that I said is going to save your life, and it saves my life. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice, right? All the bitterness, all the wrath, all the anger, all the clamor, all the slander, he says, let it be put away from you. He says, even malice. Verse 32, and be kind to one another. And that wasn't enough because he didn't think you got that. He said, tenderhearted. And that still wasn't enough. He said, forgiving each other. He says, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. 
So we have no excuse not to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving to each other because God gave us the example that he did this for us through Christ. He let Christ be the forgiving bearer for us. So we have to love each other because it's better for us. It's more healthy to love each other. Amen. You know, I'm thankful to God for you, gangs, and I love you. And I pray that that same love returns back and forth. I've known you for quite some time now. And, and it's good to always, as brothers, walk in love with each other. And a lot of times men don't understand that men have to love each other. You know, it, it's a healthy thing for a man to love another man and be healthy with that and be strong in your emotions towards another brother and tell that brother while he's alive and breathing that you love him. We need to have more of that. And I think we'd be more complete men if we cried a little bit. I mean, I really hey, press and cry all the time. Yeah, he do. That's all he do is cry. I do too. See, I'm telling me too. I do too. You get to talking about a moment here, I'll start crying in a minute. Somebody have to come take over because I'm emotional. It seems like the older I get, the more emotional I get. I don't know if it's the age thing or if it's just me getting wiser or me understanding or me realizing that it's worth something to love people more than it was when I was younger, more ambition, more self-centered. Now you start to get to the, the final, I call it the final cut. You start to look at your last quarter of living. You want to get it together. You don't want to have anybody ruffle your feathers. You don't want to have any anxiety in your life. You don't want to have any worry or concern. You want to let stuff go. You want to let it go, let it go, let it go. You do not have time to be holding on to things. Amen. Let it go. So this is the gift I want to give for Christmas, is that when I tell my family I love them, they know it because I mean it. You might unwrap a present that I was able to get, but more than that present, I want you to know what's behind that present, that I love you because God has given me a love for you and for myself that is healthy. And it's going to be far long lasting than the thing that's wrapped up in that box. Every day after Christmas is gone, you're going to have my love for you. Every day. Because God has love for us. Amen? Well, that's what I have for you all today. <laughs> Merry Christmas to you all. <laughs>